Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We begin today with some breaking news. Los Angeles County's stay-at-home orders will, with, quote, all certainty, be extended for the next three months. That's through July, according to the Los Angeles County Public Health Director. The Los Angeles Times just broke the story. It's an attempt to continue to slow the spread of coronavirus there. And this all comes as the nation's top infectious disease expert, Dr. Anthony Fauci, issued a stark warning for the nation earlier today. The United States does not have, he says, coronavirus under control. I think we're going in the right direction, but the right direction does not mean we have by any means total control of this outbreak. Dr. Fauci also emphasizing the, quote, consequences could be really serious, he said, if states and cities open up before meeting the guidelines laid out by the White House task force, which is precisely what appears to be happening in many states across the nation. There is a real risk that you will trigger an outbreak that you may not be able to control, which in fact, paradoxically, will set you back, not only leading to some suffering and death that could be avoided, but could even set you back on the road to trying to get economic recovery. These warnings coming during a Senate Health Committee hearing earlier today, a hearing that in itself served as a testament to how how much the Trump administration does not yet have control of this pandemic. All four administration officials testifying today testified remotely. Three of them are in some state of self-quarantine because of exposure to a White House official at the White House who tested positive, along with the committee chair, Republican Senator Lamar Alexander, also in self-isolation because of possible exposure. And of course, the Democratic ranking member, Patty Murray, also appearing from home. Those two senators having a moment of bipartisan agreement today that testing so far in the U.S. has not been nearly enough. Republican Senator Mitt Romney of Utah going so far today as to admonish the person in charge of getting testing up to speed, Admiral Brett Girard for his claims about testing as he stood next to President Trump yesterday in the Rose Garden. Yesterday, you celebrated that we had done more tests and more tests per capita even than South Korea. But you ignored the fact that they accomplished theirs at the beginning of the outbreak while we treaded water during February and March. I I find our testing record nothing to celebrate whatsoever. Indeed, as Romney pointed out, South Korea has lost 258 of its citizens to this virus. As of this moment, the United States has lost at least 81,805. All of the testimony today serving to contradict President Trump's mission accomplished declaration just yesterday about testing. We have met the moment and we have prevailed. And as CNN's Caitlin Collins reports for us now, Dr. Fauci also said today the death toll is likely higher than the more than 81,000 deaths we currently know about. 
As the president pushes for the nation to reopen, one of his top health experts had a dire warning about doing so too soon. If you do not do an adequate response, we will have the deleterious consequence of more infections and more deaths. Dr. Anthony Fauci was one of four top health experts who testified virtually before a Senate committee today, where he and others were pressed on whether the country is ready to reopen. It's important to emphasize that we're not out of the woods yet. Battle contends in we months, but we are more prepared. More than 80,000 people in the United States have died from coronavirus. While the president has privately questioned whether that number is inflated, Dr. Fauci said it's likely higher. I don't know exactly what percent's higher, but almost certainly it's higher. One day after Trump claimed the U.S. had prevailed on testing, Democrats and one Republican on the committee pushed back. But this administration has had a record of giving us broken promises that more tests and supplies are coming, and they don't. I find our testing record nothing to celebrate whatsoever. Trump's testing coordinator said the administration hopes to have significantly ramped it up by September. We project that our nation will be capable of performing at least 40 to 50 million tests per month if needed at that time. Last week, the president told reporters that the coronavirus might go away without a vaccine. But Dr. Fauci testified today that that won't happen. That is just not going to happen because it's such a highly transmissible virus. Trump has often contradicted his own officials in public, though all denied having a tense relationship with him when asked today. There is certainly not a confrontational relationship between me and the president. We're there to give our best public health device, um, and that's what we do. I have not had a confrontational relationship with the president. We have a very productive working relationship with each other and also uh, with the president and vice president. At one point, Fauci did clash with Senator Rand Paul, one of the president's allies who recovered from coronavirus earlier this year. And as much as I respect you, Dr. Fauci, I don't think you're the end all. I don't think you're the one person that gets to make a decision. I'm a scientist, a physician, and a public health official. I give advice according to the best scientific evidence. At the White House, President Trump remained behind closed doors today. After one of his top aides tested positive, Vice President Mike Pence, who showed up to work in a mask, will now distance himself from the president for the next few days. Now, the vice president has made the choice uh, to keep his... Jake, vaccines were obviously also a big part of that hearing today. Dr. Fauci said he does not think one is going to be ready by the time we get to the school year, but he's still hopeful that one can be produced in the next year or two. But the question that still remains coming out of that hearing is whether or not that is going to be a vaccine that's available for free to everyone. That was a question that multiple Democratic senators posed to these uh, these health experts that were there testifying on behalf of the administration. They said they would advocate for it, but they said they could not be the one to make the decision or say for sure that this vaccine would be available to everyone free of charge. All right, Caitlin Collins at the White House, thank you so much. Joining me now to discuss is CNN chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Sanjay, good to see you as always. So Dr. Fauci said today that the U.S. does not have coronavirus under control, which seems factual. And he warned that if states and cities prematurely open up for business, there could be spikes that turn into new outbreaks. And we are seeing some spikes in, in meat plants, in jails, How do you stop a new outbreak? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, he's been pretty consistent on this, Jake. If you listen back to what he's been saying over the last couple of months, he has sort of warned that if these uh, gating criteria are not met, you're likely to see outbreaks. The the, the challenge is whenever you reopen, you're likely to see uh, some people who become infected that otherwise would not. I think what Dr. Fauci really was emphasizing today and over the last uh, few times he's spoken about this is at that point, you gotta have testing in place. You've got to be able to find people who are newly infected and isolate them. Isolation is for people who have the virus. Quarantining is for people who have been exposed to somebody and now need to quarantine themselves so they, they don't potentially spread the virus. It is that, it is that, that testing and that isolation and that uh, tracing that, that is so critical to preventing an outbreak. There will be new cases. You wanna prevent it from going into exponential growth. That's essentially what an outbreak is and you can do it if you have adequate testing. You can do it even without a vaccine. So that, that's sort of the key, I think, that he really was drilling down on in terms of reopening things if you're gonna do that. Dr. Fauci also said today that it's more likely than not uh, that the U.S. will have a coronavirus vaccine within a year or two, but he also cautioned there's no guarantee there will be a successful uh, vaccine. How optimistic should we be, do you think? It's about as optimistic as I've heard him on something. I mean, you know, there's, I think people demand a certain amount of certainty uh, from scientists and, uh, you know, certainly someone like Dr. Fauci, it's obviously hard to provide. Uh, So I listen really closely to how his tenor changes. I know he's he's speaking very closely to many of these vaccine manufacturers. There are several different platforms of vaccine that are being trialed, meaning, you know, different types of vaccines that are being trialed. And there's lots of candidates out there. So, you know, he has said uh, a year uh, back, you know, in January, he said a year. And he has sort of stuck to that. I mean, you know, things are moving really fast, Jake. I got to say, I've never seen vaccines move this quickly before. If one of them works, if we start to see uh, within the next, I'd say, couple months, Jake, uh, you know, by the end of June, maybe, if we see what are called these efficacy signals, signals that it's starting to work, it, it could be by early next year. I think then it's a question of do we have enough doses of the vaccine? How exactly is it going to be distributed? All of that sort of stuff. Some of these vaccines require uh, really low temperatures. How do you, how do you uh, uh, distribute things like that, you know, in refrigerators and all that sort of stuff? That's got to be figured out. People should be figuring that out now, but, uh, you know, possibly early next year, Jake. I want to get your reaction to an exchange uh, between Republican Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky and Dr. Fauci about the risks of reopening schools. Take a listen. With regard to going back to school, one thing that was left out of that discussion is uh, mortality. I mean, shouldn't we at least be discussing what the mortality of children is? Um, this is for Dr. Fauci as well. You know, the mortality between zero and 18 in the New York data approaches zero. I think the one size fits all that we're going to have a national strategy and nobody's going to go to school is kind of ridiculous. I think we better be careful if we are not cavalier in thinking that children are completely immune to the deleterious effects. So again, you're right in the numbers that children in general do much, much better than adults and the elderly and particularly those with underlying conditions. But I am very careful and hopefully humble in knowing that I don't know everything about this disease. And that's why I'm very reserved in making broad predictions. Sanjay, you and I know Dr. Fauci, and basically that's him saying that Rand Paul is being cavalier. Uh, And he mentioned that some kids are experiencing you know, deadly symptoms similar to Kawasaki disease. We've been talking about this for several weeks now. There's still a lot we don't know about this virus and what it might do to children. 
Yeah, I mean that that was uh, that was uh, Dr. Fauci at his at his strongest, as as polite as he might be. Um, but yeah, he's referring to this syndrome that we're clearly now seeing in this part of the world. Uh, it's a Kawasaki type syndrome. Here we're now calling it PIMS for Pediatric Inflammatory Multi-Organ Syndrome. PIMS is now the name for this. Uh, it's an inflammatory uh, sort of syndrome associated with with COVID. Um, it's a brand new thing. I mean, there will ultimately be textbooks written about stuff that we are discovering just over the last couple of weeks, Jake. I mean, that's how fast medical science is moving right now. But it's, it's, it's confusing as to why we're seeing this now, you know, several months into this. This seems to be a post-inflammatory sort of thing. Maybe kids who had had the, uh, the coronavirus at some point in the past and yet have an inflammatory sort of flare-up. Interestingly, Kawasaki is typically more commonly seen in Asia, you know, in China and Japan. And I've been talking to people over there, some of my sources, they did not see the, the significant uptick in Kawasaki over there. So this appears to be something that's more predominant in this part of the world. We're not sure, it could be some sort of genetic predisposition, but this is what Dr. Fauci is talking about. Also, Jake, you know that even if kids, it's true, uh, children thankfully are, are not as likely to become very sick uh, or certainly die from this, but they can still be carriers as well. And that's got to go into the planning as we think about schools and, and how to open those up as well. Dr. Fauci also said it would be a bridge too far to expect uh, a vaccine or even uh, a full treatment before students return to school in the fall. Should parents be expecting right now that they might have their kids at home at least through Christmas and the new year? It's possible, Jake. I've been talking to a lot of folks in different school districts. Uh, you know, we heard from the superintendent of LA Unified School District, one of uh, second largest, I believe, school district in the country. I think right now the plan is to open up schools. Uh, you know, this fall, uh, they're they're starting to go through the what that's going to look like in terms of you know no cafeterias, no assemblies, you know gym class and things like that not happening. Really understanding how to maybe even stagger start student times to try and space things out for the students. Uh, you know, obviously six feet apart, all that sort of stuff. But that is the plan. It could change as things go through the summer. But I think right now most want to open up in the fall. All right, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, as always, thank you so much. Be sure to listen to Sanjay's Daily gotcha. Podcast. Coronavirus Fact versus Fiction, it's on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Up next, will there be more cash payments to Americans? House Speaker Nancy Pelosi will join us live as House Democrats push for another stimulus bill. Plus, a top CEO now predicting that a major airline will go out of business by September. What that might mean for you ahead. All roads back to work and school go through testing. What our country had done so far in testing is impressive, but not nearly enough. We still need testing to be fast, free, and everywhere. And we need the White House to lay out a detailed national plan to make that happen. I, I find our testing record nothing to celebrate whatsoever. Bipartisan frustration and outrage expressed on the Senate side of Capitol Hill today about the availability and capacity for widespread testing here in the United States. This comes after President Trump declared yesterday that the U.S. has prevailed on testing. Joining me now is the top Democrat in the House of Representatives, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Madam Speaker, thanks so much uh, for joining us. Uh, I know you've unveiled a $3 trillion relief bill that would include billions for testing. Were you satisfied by the administration's pledge this morning of 40 to 50 million tests a month, if necessary, by September. 
No, you have to do much more than that, and I think that they know that. Uh, they, uh, it has to be at least double that, maybe two and a half times that. And the sooner we do it, the better. It is a decision to open up the economy, testing, tracing, treatment, isolation if necessary. And to do that, we have to make a, a commitment to do it as we do in our bill. Uh, when you hear the Senate hearing today, testing, 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 and as the distinguished uh, Democratic, uh, top Democrat on the committee, uh, Senator Murray said, you have to uh, have a, a detailed plan. You have to have a definite plan on how to get this done. We put that forth in our bill. Mm -hmm. With, the, with everything that goes with it and with the, the ethic value that it's going to be there for everyone, uh, the, not only the testing, the tracing, and the treatment, but also whatever vaccine or therapies uh, are, God sends us and science produces, uh, that they will be accessible right. to everyone in our country as well. So let's talk about um, this bill. Uh, your Republican counterpart, counterpart uh, Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, called it a liberal wish list of a bunch of items that you wanted to have passed uh, even before uh, the coronavirus pandemic happened. Um, what's your response to that? I mean, is well, this very specifically coronavirus focused or are there things in here uh, that have nothing to do with it? He knows that that's what he said isn't so. But putting that aside, I, I can't be bothered about uh, what others say. What I am what I'm proud of is what we are doing. And the fact is that in all four of the bills that have passed before, they've all been bipartisan. And we've all uh, in our caucus have agreed that everything is coronavirus centric and also in a timely way that relates to the virus. It's too deadly to our lives, to our livelihood, to our democracy for us to use it for any other purpose. So when the money for state and local is to uh, allay the cost of the uh, defray the cost of the um, uh, outlays they've made for coronavirus and the revenue mm -hmm. lost because of the coronavirus testing, testing with three pillars, honor our heroes by supporting our state and local entities so that they don't lose their jobs. These, these heroes don't lose their jobs. Mm -hmm. Open up government by testing, tracing, uh, uh, treatment, et cetera. And the third is putting money in the pockets of the American people. All of it timed and centric to the coronavirus. Uh, we, we, it would be an endless amount of money if we put our wish list uh, for the future in there. But that is not what the case is. And sometimes I get a little heat from my own folks who say, why can't we do this in this bill and that in the bus? Because that's not what the bill's about. This bill is for this purpose, right. and it's a big price, but it's a big problem. And as chairman of the Fed said, think big because the interest rates will never be lower. And so we are, they've used the interest rates to uh, give confidence that credit will be available because the interest rates are low. We want those same interest rates. Mm. And they use it to bolster the stock market. We want to use it to bolster the American people. I'm very proud of so the work of my chairman. I want you to... I want you to take a listen to what New York's uh, Democratic Governor uh, Andrew Cuomo had to say today about what he wants in the next stimulus bill. It has to be a smart piece of legislation this time. What does that mean? No handouts to greedy corporations, no political pork, and no partisanship. You can't, sometimes, there has to be a time in history when the federal government is willing to stop playing partisan politics. 
So no partisanship. Uh, and yet the House Republicans sound like they oppose this bill. The Senate Republicans oppose this bill. The White House, uh, it doesn't sound like they're supporting this bill. Um, that sounds partisan to me. Am I wrong? Well, it may be partisan on their part, but it's not partisan on our part to meet the needs of the American people. But let me reiterate, these, we passed four bills, all of them bipartisan. This is the fifth bill. And much of the essence of this bill, the three pillars, have a provenance in the previous bills. We have had state and local in there. We've had direct payments to people and unemployment insurance to people. And we've had testing. Our first bill on March 4th was testing, testing, testing. Our most recent bill that passed had $25 billion for testing. So all of these spring in a bigger way, nonetheless, because there's a bigger commitment to testing and to meeting the needs of localities. So again, it's all been bipartisan. I hope that it will be. I think there's great bipartisan support throughout the country from governors and mayors about the state and local uh, provisions Mm -hmm. that are in the legislation. Scientists all agree we can't open unless we test. That's not even partisan. That's that's scientific. And you even heard uh, the uh, chairman and the top Democrat on the committee say we haven't what we've done is not nearly adequate. And then again, meeting the needs of American Mm -hmm. people, when the Republicans say we need a pause, as I keep saying, there's no pause in hunger and rent in your bills and and no pause in the agony of not having a job because of this terrible situation. So we feel very proud of of the uh, prioritizing, curating of the issues that we have so that they meet the needs of the American Mm -hmm. people very directly and that it is a very defensible bill. Everything in it is for the mm-hmm. purpose of getting, opening up our government, helping people in the meantime, mm-hmm. and defeating, defeating this uh, virus as we honor our heroes who are working so hard, risking okay. their lives to save lives. House Speaker, Nancy, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, thank you so much for your time. My Stay pleasure. healthy. Good to see you as always. Thank you. And, and coming up, new ways to Sanjay control Gupta coronavirus. For wonderful work. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I will pass that on to him. Coming up, new ways to control coronavirus from one state considering requiring pictures of all visitors to L.A. looking to extend the stay-at-home order for another three months. Stay with us. Los Angeles County will, li- Los Angeles County will likely extend its stay-at-home orders for another three months through July. With more than 10 million people, L.A. County is the biggest county in the nation by population. With more people than 40 states It comes as the governor announced more than one million coronavirus tests have been conducted in California, 41,000 in the past 24 hours alone. CNN's Nick Watt is in the Malibu area of Los Angeles County. And Nick, this possible extension on stay-at-home orders uh, is really hitting a lot of people with surprise and shock. What, What do we know about the details? Well, we are trying to figure it out right now, Jake, but I have been getting texts from people saying, what is this? We've got to stay home another three months. People are stunned by this headline. We are digging into the detail. What we know happened is that there was a supervisor's meeting here in L.A. County, and during a discussion about uh, a moratorium on evictions, the public health director said that we are going to be extending our health officer orders another three months. Now, The county is beginning to reopen, so it could be that it's going to be three months until we see the very end, or they could really be telling us to stay at home for another three months. We are trying to get the details, but what is very clear is that here in L.A. County, they are taking things slow. 
While activists in Florida lay body bags on the steps of the Capitol, stores in Ohio today opening doors to a brave new world. We have cleaned everything. Everything is marked off and everybody's safe. Through this weekend, 48 states will have begun reopening. Colorado, South Carolina, Georgia and Oklahoma were among the first. And their new case counts are holding steady for now. But it is still too early to tell the full impact of opening. My concern is that we will start to see little spikes that might turn into outbreaks. New York State starts reopening Friday as we hear New York City's terrible toll of nearly 19,000 dead through early May might be even higher. The CDC now says another 5,000 deaths are potentially related to the pandemic. I very much align with Dr. Fauci's concern. In the beginning of June, that will be the first chance we get to start to do something differently, but only if the indicators show us that. Just one reason why Broadway theaters will be closed through at least early September. Over in Hawaii, every single new arrival might now be photographed as officials scramble to enforce a 14-day quarantine for visitors. Certainly having photos would be helpful. New case counts in South Dakota climbing dramatically. And after clashing with the governor over COVID checkpoints on tribal land, the Oglala Sioux now in a three-day lockdown. There will be absolutely no movement of anybody or anything throughout the reservation. Meanwhile, Doctors Without Borders, an international organization, has teams helping the Navajo Nation. As a new CNN poll finds, 54% of Americans think their government is doing a poor job preventing the spread. A majority also think the worst is yet to come. Still, some signs of near normality on our horizon. Major League Baseball might restart spring training in June, according to the New York Times, and an 82-game fanless season. First pitch, maybe July 4th. And Disney World in Florida is now accepting reservations for July. But some researchers fear a rerun of the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic, a spring-summer lull. And then a very large wave this uh, late summer or uh, fall that could be much, much larger than anything New York had seen or many other places around the world. That's a concern to us if 1918 holds as a model as it has so far. So in L.A. County, the stay home order may be extending for some time, but tomorrow they are opening the beaches. But. It's for exercise only. No lounging around in the sand. You've got to wear a mask unless you're in the water. And also, they are not opening the beachside parking lots. They do not want a crush of people here in Malibu and elsewhere this weekend. Jake. All right, Nick Watt in Malibu. Thank you so much. One assisted living home owner has an idea as to how to slow the death toll in nursing homes, and he's already implemented the plan. Is it working? Stay with us. More than half of all coronavirus deaths in at least 14 states are people living in assisted care facilities, according to the Kaiser Foundation. The CDC director today called nursing home deaths one of the great tragedies. Joining me now is Tyson Belanger. He's a former Marine infantry officer who served three tours in Iraq, and he now runs Shady Oaks. It's an assisted living facility in Bristol, Connecticut. Thanks so much uh, for joining us, Tyson. You believe you have a solution 
to controlling the spread of COVID-19 in nursing homes, you pay your staff to live at your facility full time to lower the chances of the virus coming in. And, and how is it working? Jake, thank you for this opportunity. I wouldn't call it a solution. I would call it a patch. And I would call it a necessary patch until we can reach a time of better testing, better equipment, and strong quarantines. The patch that we found was that in early March, we restricted our visitors. That helped us reduce the number of people coming in from outside. But we were still left with 48 staff members commuting in and out of our home each week. We tried a checkpoint to medically screen people, but we quickly felt discouraged. We felt uncomfortable that we'd be able to accurately decide who could be in and who couldn't, especially with asymptomatic transmissions. You know, COVID can transmit without any signs of ill health. So we had to try something different. And what we tried is something that I call on-site caregiving. So on 22 March, 17 staff members and I moved into our home, into RVs and into the house next door. And we committed to living here for up to two months. Our goal at the time was to bypass the surge and reach a time of better testing. And we've done that. We have had no cases and confirmed or suspected of COVID in our home. None, huh? In a New York Times op-ed, you suggested that all nursing homes in your state should consider paying staff to stay around the clock as you're doing. But you, you did note this could cost taxpayers in Connecticut $55 million over a six-week period. Um, do you think that's a, a realistic proposal given the expense? It depends on how much we care about our elderly. I care quite a deal. I care quite a bit. When we're talking about World War II veterans, we're talking about Korea War veterans. And I think it's just been deeply unfair what's been happening in our senior homes. I'm not saying that everyone should do this. What I'm saying is that the state should provide this as an opportunity. We need to recognize this as a public good. And so, yes, the state should step in. Yes, at least it should be experimenting with on-site caregiving as an option during the surge weeks especially. No, I agree. And I, the way that some people talk about the loss of the elderly um, makes me physically ill sometimes. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, I found what did out you this make morning uh, that one of my York... VFW buddies has coronavirus in a nursing home nearby? And, and it's, it, yeah. it, it's shaken me to the core. My heart is really, really. And of men over age 80, about 70 percent are veterans. So when people talk about, yeah. oh, this old yeah. man died, this old man died, it, these are the veterans that we cherish on Memorial Day. We're not going to see them anymore <laughs> if we don't take care of them. And here in Connecticut, if you do some estimates, it comes out to almost as many as 45% of nursing home residents have had COVID. That's, that's wrong. We need to patch the situation until we can get to a better time of testing so we can get to a better time of equipment so we can get to a better time of quarantines and we're not there just yet before you go i'm just curious as to as to what you made of new york governor andrew cuomo's controversial decision back in march he required all nursing homes to accept uh, people even if they had tested positive for coronavirus it's a decision he reversed uh this week but i know a lot of people were angry thinking that he was basically forcing a bunch of vulnerable people to take in new patients that could infect them. What, what, what did you make of it? The, the view that I had from Connecticut was that it's coming to all nursing homes. It's coming to all assisted living. So here in Connecticut, we're at a, over 74% of our homes have at least one resident with COVID-19 in our nursing homes. 
I know that's the case in New Jersey, that they went over 90 percent. So when we're talking about numbers like this, I think the fundamental problem is asymptomatic transmission going through the checkpoints. And the fundamental solution, at least in the short term, is to bubble up and to to have on-site caregiving until we can reach the time of better testing, better equipment, and better quarantines. Tyson Belanger, a, a, a hero in Iraq and a hero in Bristol. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Appreciate what you're doing for, Jake, our, for you. our seniors. Jake, thank you very much. More on the breaking news this hour. More on the breaking news this hour about L.A. County possibly extending the stay-at-home order through the month of July. I'm going to talk to the mayor of Los Angeles. That's next. More now on that alarming prediction from Los Angeles County. The public health director director there saying today, quote, with all certainty, Los Angeles County will keep its stay at home orders through July. Joining me on the phone is Eric Garcetti. He's the mayor of the city of Los Angeles. Mayor Garcetti, uh, thanks for joining us. What was so alarming in L.A. County for the health director to make this kind of warning? Explain to us what, what the situation is there. Well, I want to reassure people because I think there was a a lot of panic suddenly when the headline said we're all going to stay exactly as we are for three more months when that's not the case. I think quite simply she's saying that we're not going to fully reopen Los Angeles and probably anywhere in America without any protections or any health orders in the next three months. I think we know that it's going to be even longer than three months. And as I've said a million times, we're not moving past COVID-19. We're learning to live with it. We're not going to go back to pre-COVID-19 life anytime soon or jump forward to post-COVID-19 time until there is a medicine or a vaccine that allows that. So we're still living in the age of COVID-19. And, you know, that said, we don't have to freeze life or freeze our economy where it is, but we will continue to need to have uh, a health order about covering our faces, physically distancing, protecting our vulnerable population, and following the numbers when it comes to what steps we take moving forward, assessing those and staying or retreating in some cases when this disease gets bad. Okay, but she did seem to be saying that people were going to be staying at home still through July. I understand that we're not going back to 100 percent normal for quite some time, maybe not even until next year. But are, are you saying that she's wrong, that, we're, that Los Angeles County residents are not going to be staying no. at home until July? And I just spoke to her a few minutes before because we listen, we've got a great health director and uh, Dr. Ferrer here. Uh, we've taken her advice and saved thousands, if not tens of thousands of lives. And I know most Americans want us to get it right. You look at polls across the country, certainly here in Los Angeles, it's go slow, don't go fast, and get it right so we don't have to retreat. So she wanted to make sure that I communicated and what she was communicating is that we still need to have a public health order because there are some populations who will need to stay at home. People need to know whenever possible it is safer to stay at home. So if you can telecommute, et cetera, and there's no radical changes in the next week coming, um, but that doesn't mean... Three weeks from now, six weeks from now, two months from now, we won't continuously edit that order and make sure that we open up safely as much as we can. And if it gets dangerous, I've always told people the hard truths, we may need to step back at times as well. Governor Newsom said that California has done more than one million coronavirus tests with 41,000 done just yesterday. How many tests do you need to be doing, for example, for schools to reopen in September or or August, I guess they open earlier in in California. How many tests do you you need to be doing a day for that to happen? Well, I think we need to be in a county of 10 million people. The base is that's been recommended nationally is about 15,000 tests a day. We're now at that in L.A. County. I'm very proud we're the first county 
that is giving universal tests to anybody who wants them, whether they have symptoms or not. We have to figure out, you know, federal help for the city level to pay for that because we're burning through about a million dollars a day in testing. Uh, some of that's reimbursable, but it is absolutely critical. And thanks to your last guest, we have to test aggressively in our senior homes, protect our veterans and our seniors, and, of course, with people who are vulnerable, like our people experiencing homelessness. But for our schools, there's no question we're going to have to have for our young people, not just testing once and you're good to go to school, but at least weekly, if not more frequently, to make sure nobody infectious is going to school, even if they don't have symptoms. That will reassure not only the students, but, of course, their families and the teachers. If that's done, I do think we can get in the fall back to some version of school, even if it doesn't look exactly like we're used to. All right. Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti, best of luck with all of that. Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate Thanks as it. always. Appreciate it, Jake. Be well. Coronavirus in the Kremlin, the close member of Putin's inner circle now hospitalized. That's next. In our world lead, a top aide of Russian President Vladimir Putin is now hospitalized with coronavirus. As CNN's Matthew Chance reports, Putin is now facing a crisis across his country and in his inner circle. News that Putin's spokesman has coronavirus is gripping Russia. Dmitry Peskov may be only the latest official there to test positive, but he's the one closest to President Putin. It raises questions about the health of the Russian leader. For years, Peskov has been the public mouthpiece of his strongman president. Putin rarely appears without him at home or abroad there's a strong chance the two could have been in close contact. To allay fears, Peskov has insisted there's been no in-person dealings between the two for over a month. The Kremlin says Putin has been working remotely from his residence outside Moscow, although he clearly takes some meetings face-to-face, like this one with the head of the Russian state oil company. It's a risk in a country reporting more than 10,000 new infections every day. And there are growing signs of the strain. At this hospital in St. Petersburg, at least five coronavirus patients were killed in a blaze on their ward. At the weekend, another died when a fire broke out in a Moscow hospital. Emergency workers say both incidents were caused by faulty ventilators bursting into flames. All this as the Kremlin moves to lift restrictions on a national lockdown. But the coronavirus in Russia shows little sign of easing. In fact, Jake, it seems to be getting even worse because the country now has more than 230 confirmed coronavirus infections. That's the second biggest toll in the world after the United States. All right, Matthew Chance, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Thanks for watching. Stay healthy. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. 
Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 